you think people need to either forgive themselves or forgive others before they die? Absolutely. Forgive yourself first and forgive others. There is no point keeping pride, vengeance, spite, stubbornness, any of these things. Forgive yourself first and forgive others. And we welcome you to this first of 2021 edition of the Tuesday People podcast. And we're so glad to have you joining us in this new year. Welcome to 2021, which will be better than 2020, simply because it can't get any worse than 2020. (laughs) Uh, And uh, alongside, as always, is Lisa Goich, a year older, but just the same. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Yeah. I am uh, tossing salt and knocking wood with what you just said. I don't. (laughs) I'm very confident about this year. I think it's going going to be a good year. I'm glad you are. I'm confident. (laughs) Everything looks good in January, except your waistline frequently. (laughs) Uh, And speaking Uh, of that, uh, we thought that today, you know, we we actually have done, even though this is a, a sort of a fledgling podcast and that it's only been around a few years. Uh, we've already done some New Year's resolution type of shows and talking about things that I learned from my old college professor, Maury Schwartz, and the lessons in the book Tuesdays with Maury that relate to how you want to clean up your life, so to speak, and make things better and make promises that you can keep. But in thinking about January which is a month traditionally the people work on themselves. If you know the business, for example, of of, uh, gyms, yoga studios, they do the massive load of their business in January of every year. Most other businesses, it's Christmas, right? You know, when Christmas comes around, Mm -hmm. that's when they do their business. But uh, it's January for health clubs and diet centers and weight loss because everybody wants to start a new year right and yep. get themselves you know good and healthy and start over. Well, one of the things that you can do to make yourself feel better perhaps would be to deal with things that you are sorry about, things that require forgiveness from you and by you from the year that just ended. And so we've invited Susan Shapiro, who is a New York Times bestseller, a journalist, and author of a new book that comes out this month, The Forgiveness Tour, How to Find the Perfect Apology, because she has spent a good deal of time and thought and writing on exactly this subject. Susan, welcome to Tuesday People Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what inspired you to go out and create this book, which is essentially a a multi-level look at forgiveness through the eyes of a lot of different people, learned people, uh, religious leaders, people who have had to deal with forgiving people, who haven't forgiven people. But usually there's there's something, as there was with Tuesdays with Maury for me, which was reconnecting with my old college professor and suddenly hearing you know, what life looked like through the eyes of someone who really knew. Right. And by the way, and I love that book and I'm a total fan and there's a similarity in that um, what motivated me was I had this mentor who I looked up to and who I um, was kind of like a very important guru. And 
he lied to me and repeatedly, and he kind of screwed me up. And mm. I was very hurt and very shocked. And this is the person I trusted most for more than 15 years. Wow. So I was at a loss. And I'm the type person, I grew up in Michigan, nice Jewish girl. I'm the type person, I forgive everybody anything as long as they cop to it. If they say, I'm sorry, no problem. But in this case, not only did he not say he was sorry, he didn't think he did anything wrong and he kept making it worse. Wow. Can I, can so I, I was, can I ask you what was the nature of the, of the lie? Yeah, actually in, in my book, The Forgiveness Tour, I was actually debating whether to even say it because it was kind of a weird, complicated story. Right. But so actually what happened was, so he's a therapist who's an addiction specialist and I'm always recommending therapy to my students and, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, colleagues. Um, but in this particular case, I had a former student who I loved, who I was very close to, who had asked for a recommendation for a therapist. And I recommended her to my favorite, uh, a former therapist who was female. And I recommended, a, I got helped her get a job and I helped her get an agent. And all of a sudden, since I'd written about this addiction specialist, she came to me and said, I want to see him. Can I see him too? And I said, you know what, this one, it's kind of not cool. I, you know, that, that seeing a therapist, especially, you know, an addiction specialist for that long, it's not like sharing a dentist, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like a really important guru and it's not, that's not really comfortable for me. And I explained to her why, you know, and I said, there's 20,000 other shrinks in New York. I can recommend others. She said, no problem. And I actually mentioned it to him because I told him, I thought, you know, that we were kind of, um, much as I thought very highly of her. It was a little bit of an over-connection uh -huh. with editors and agents and friends and stuff like that. So he right. said, no problem. You know, that's ridiculous. If she ever called me, I would just recommend her to somebody else. So I just right. didn't, wasn't even thinking about it. So one day, maybe six months later, I come out, I, I'm going to his office for an appointment and I see her coming out of his office. Uh -huh. And it turns out they've been, um, he's been treating her for six months. Oh, wow. Oh. And I just, and I, it just really blew my mind because I was, you know, she was one of my favorite former students and, right. you know, I got in her job. We were very connected and he was my guru. You know, he was like right. the person, I mean, I, and, and I was seeing him all this time and he I was, was seeing her Mary. all this time. Yeah. So I kind of freaked out. And, and the thing is when I did freak out, you know, when I said to him, what, what the hell's going on here? If he would have told me the truth, I would have handled it. You know, there was a 50 different reasons he could have said that I would have like understood. Right. But instead, he just was like acting like I was crazy to even be bothered and pretending hmm. that he hadn't promised me not to All see right. her and so this, dealing with this, it. This was something that you felt um, would have been handled with an apology, but was not. Or, the by apology. the way, an explanation even. Well, just explain to me. For our purposes yeah. today, apology. But the apology was not forthcoming. Well, so, no, and interestingly, in but in my book, I talk about there are four elements of a good apology, and one of the elements is an explanation. Mm -hmm. So, so if you know, even mm -hmm. if he didn't, even if he didn't apologize, if he would have at least explained it, I might have understood. But in this case, he, he was, he just wasn't. Right. So, how did you deal with that? Ultimately. Well, I freaked out. I, I well, basically, besides I the freaking out, because I don't want to recommend freaking out to our right. audience. That that many of them already know how to do. And in 2021, we don't want to get off on the wrong foot. So let's right, go beyond the freak wanna, out. Right, part. and he had helped me quit smoking, drinking, and drugs, so I didn't yeah. want to relapse. So um, basically, what I did was, luckily in my life, I have 
um, some religious figures who I think very highly of. So I I was uh, teaching a class at Holy Apostle Soup Kitchen, and there's a be- uh, you know really brilliant reverend there who's very forgiving. So I asked her, you know, about you know how, can you forgive somebody who doesn't apologize? And so there's this whole you know the whole Jesus on the on the cross says, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they what do. They do right. Yeah, so we started talking about that. But interestingly, when I asked her a lot of questions, it seemed as if sins that are unrepented are not forgiven. So that interested me. Then I have this great uh, rabbi in Michigan, uh, Joseph Krakoff. So I called him, and I was talking to him, and he actually started explaining to me the Jewish version of forgiveness, which is that it's sort of a funny story where you you're sort of mandated to forgive and if the person asks you to forgive them three times and you say no then the person who doesn't forgive has to ask for forgiveness so it's this yeah. whole funny story <laughs> but it's all has to be motivated by true regret and 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 my mentor had no regret whatsoever and the right. same thing in Islam when i talked to an imam so i sort of started you know like reading i read every book i could find about forgiveness and interestingly, almost all the all religions did, you know, there there wasn't really a blanket forgiveness, even though you think, you know, there's like this billion dollar forgiveness industry that just says you're supposed to forgive everybody everything. But when I really, when I really spoke with religious figures, it was much more nuanced than that. So I was trying to, still trying to figure it out. And then what happens is every, I'm just sort of an open book and I was just upset. And so every, every time I would tell this story to to friends or colleagues or students, they would not only relate, they would say to me, oh, well, that happened to me. Or, you know, oh, yeah, well, I have a situation where someone not only didn't apologize, they made it worse. And so I started listening to all the stories, and I was very interested in a few of the people who were able to recover without getting an apology. So anyway, I became very obsessed, and this sort of became like a 10-year obsession. And uh, and huh. that's how the book started. <laughs> wow. And here we that's, are. <laughs> that's a good backdrop for a book, The Forgiveness <laughs> yeah. Tour, How to Find the Perfect Apology is the name of the book. All right, so let let's let me break this down for our audience here on a number of different levels. First of all, you you alluded to what makes a good apology and you said there were several elements to it. What are those yes. elements? Okay, four elements of a good apology. Number 1, acknowledgement of the offense. Uh so it's not sorry if I hurt you, it's I screwed up this way. Mm-hmm. So specific acknowledgement of the offense, number 1. Number 2, saying you're sorry. Number three, explaining why it happened. And number four, some kind of reparation or proof that it's not going to happen again. So those are the four elements of, a, of an excellent, that's, that's like the best kind of apology. Okay. Mm. Um, interesting, uh, when I think about public apologies, uh, which are now debated loudly across the spectrum, if somebody does something wrong in public life, a politician, an athlete, a celebrity, and then people start debating whether or not the apology was good enough, sincere right. enough. And one of the things you hear is that line, if 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 anyone was offended, I'm sorry, right. which, which people okay, say, which well, a- that's an if, but, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I, that's kind of your fault that you're offended, and I'm sorry that you're offended, but that's not the same as saying, I'm sorry I offended you. Right, and that's a Weasley apology, and there's actually a, um, there's some women that have a, um, a podcast called Sorry Watch, Mm-hmm. And they analyze public apologies, oh, and they and they talk about which are now. which are um, you know <laughs> which that. are defective, 
you know, this is a defective one, that's a, this is ineffective, this is Weasley. Yeah, so, uh, you know, which is, yeah, and, and by the way, I absolutely agree. I think that there is, there's a way to do a fake apology that's almost like passive-aggressive, right. and then there's a way to do an excellent apology that really shows that you, you know, that you understand what you did wrong. Here it is. It's, okay, it's called sorrywatch.com. And uh, they they analyze public and news newsworthy faux pas for signs of defective Weasley and poisoned apologies, and yeah. they break it into categories like royal apologies, belated apologies, performative utterances, twit apologies, apologies not accepted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. And by well, the way, my mentor with his was Weasley. He, he actually at one point said to me, "I'm sorry for the imaginary crime you think I committed." Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's like completely mm, passive aggressive. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that the words "I'm sorry" shouldn't even be in that sentence. Well, so I, I guess you're sort of answering my next question, which is: Are there times? And we're looking at this on one side here. We will get to the other side, folks, about when you need to make the apology. But we're starting with when you hear an apology from someone else. Are there times where you are justified in saying, "I don't accept your apology"? Yes, I absolutely think they are. And actually, I'm thinking about writing a piece about when you shouldn't forgive, because I definitely think there are times when you shouldn't forgive. And and there were really interesting stories of people that I um, interviewed. For example, I interviewed a a family friend, Manny Mandel, who is a Holocaust survivor. And he talked about how Germany did eventually issue an apology to the Jewish people and reparations. And he not only did not accept the apology, he lived his life... um, out of spite. He did really well in life out of spite. So that was kind of a fascinating, Hmm. um, uh, you know, Hmm. so I asked him all kinds of questions about when is that, you know, when is it healthier to be self-protective? You know, so that, that was, you know, one very interesting example. But so, yeah, there's, on the other hand, I interviewed somebody, uh, a fascinating man from Michigan named Gary Weinstein, who forgave the drunk driver who killed his wife and two children. Yes, I remember that. And, yeah. Um, so that was yeah. So he's so he's. I have a whole chapter on Gary, and he was in a um, this documentary called Transforming Loss, and he wanted to be the voice to add to the add to forgiveness in the world, and and you know. So so anyway, yeah. So I asked a lot of people, but there were. It's very nuanced, you know. And like I said, if you go if you go look at forgiveness books, it's like there's there's this billion dollar forgiveness in, industry that seems to imply you should forgive everybody everything, and and that's really not the case. I think every case is. Very idiosyncratic. And interestingly, with Gary Weinstein's case, because I asked him a lot of questions, what's interesting is he actually got every single thing that you need to make a good apology in order to forgive, because the man was put in jail, fined a lot of money, uh, apologized to him face-to-face directly, apologized to the court, and tried to make amends in any way that he could. So, and, And also, interestingly... Gary himself, he was a humanistic Jew, but he also had a very strong family connection, and he had love in his life. And so all the elements in that story added up to somebody being able to forgive. And I do think it's a different story with somebody who, for example, hasn't recovered from what happened to them or somebody who didn't receive the atonement and the apology that they deserve. Those are different stories. Well, all right. But what about what people often hear, if you don't forgive somebody, even if their apology doesn't measure up, you end up paying a price for it by harboring that resentment. And frequently, the forgiveness that you give out 
isn't on a merit system necessarily for the person who you're forgiving, but it's on a, a, a self-help system for yourself not to carry around the anger that well, comes from Every not Every story forgiving. is different. So, for example, a woman that I interviewed, Charisse, was raped by her father. And he, the, um, I think they were Baptist, and the, the family clergy brought the whole family together and said, you know, he has apologized. Can you forgive him? As a teenager, she was kind of pushed to forgive him. She forgave him, and then he tried to do the exact same thing again. Hmm. And mm. so she actually wound up for the rest of her life being extremely self-protective. And she's a very good mother herself now. And she is so protective and does not forgive very easily and, and is, you know, very, very skeptical of apologies or religious figures who push you into forgiving. And a lot of times they say, you know, when it comes to abuse and incest, the, the, the forgiveness usually benefits the, the, the violator, mm. not the person who is violated. Mm. So I think, again, every, every scenario is different, but I do think that there are many times when self-protection, protecting yourself, your family, your children, um, has to come first. I mean, I'll give you a, a very current example is I know a lot of people that are fighting with family because family members want them to come home for the holidays and are right. pushing them or, or annoyed that they're not going to be home for Christmas or Hanukkah right. or mm-hmm. Kwanzaa or New Year's. And there are people who feel like, well, I don't want to offend my family, right? You know, or they're mad at me and they can't be mad at me. I, ha- I have to go make amends or whatever. And maybe you don't. Maybe if you feel that it's safer, you know, when, when, when science and facts are saying don't travel, maybe missing somebody's wedding in December or, or missing Christmas dinner is going to protect you and your family and other people on the planet. You know, maybe, maybe being tough and protective is healthier. Yeah. So those are a number of ways of looking at other people's apologies to you when they have harmed you or when they have done you wrong. Um, Before we leave it, I I wonder if you make exceptions or exemptions for family members as opposed to teachers, mentors, et cetera, because Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a good question. Um, There's actually, there's there's two stories in the book that address that, uh, and interestingly, both both Michigan connections. One of them is there was a Michigan man who I interviewed who uh, never forgave his wife for leaving, the, deserting the family. She had addiction problems, and he never forgave her. And interestingly, uh, he did say he would forgive her if she apologized and there were reparations in the right way, but he never felt he had it. But interestingly, his father was a reverend, and he had me speak with his father, and, and his father was able to forgive her and had a much better overview. And then fascinatingly, I'm friendly with the man's daughter on Facebook, and I spoke with her, and she de- she decided to forgive her mother. So that was, it was, it, that was sort of a really interesting story where a husband's view was different than the father-in-law was different than the daughter, and each had different needs. Mm. And then there's one other story I love, which was a, a woman who had two sons, and she was very close to both of them, and all of a sudden, one of the sons stopped talking to her. He got married, they had kids, and he stopped talking to his mother. And they always say, you know, love means never having to say you're sorry, or people will try to say they're sorry once and um, and give up. And this particular woman adored her son, and even though she didn't think she did anything wrong, she apologized, and she just kept apologizing and apologizing to him and to his wife for eight years just kept trying to find different ways of reconnecting and apologizing. And fascinatingly, the son got divorced 
and all of a sudden they reconciled and the son mm. was able to explain that um that his wife was not able to connect with her at all and he apologized and they're totally they're 100% connected and I said to her you know how could you keep apologizing and she just because she had this deep mother's love she just felt like she was right and at some point they would reconnect right um and they did and I sort of right. love that I actually used that myself when there was someone that I apologized to in my family who at first ignored me and instead of just giving up, I just kept apologizing in different ways. And then finally, I was able to break through. Right. So that was an interesting lesson where if you really want someone to forgive you who you're close to, and they don't at first, it doesn't mean give up. It means maybe there's other ways that you could keep trying. Yeah. Well, we've spoken about forgiveness on this podcast in the past, and I've played video uh, audio from my conversations with Maury about forgiveness, for whom that was a, a huge issue. Now, right. Maury was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and was well aware right. that he was dying, was well aware that his time was dwindling. And in light of that, he told me a story about a friend of his who he had lost touch with, and that they, they had been very close uh, for many years, good friends, traveled, did things together. And then the friend moved away, and not long after he moved away, Maury's wife got sick and while she ultimately recovered, it was a little touch and go there for a while. And, the, and this friend didn't call. And Maury w took offense with it. And he said, you know, if he's such a good friend, how come he didn't call? And so when he finally did call, Maury was sort of obstinate. He was like, oh, well, now you call, you know. And, and, the, and the friend was like, ah, you're right. I should have called early. I apologize. But Maury was like, no, it's a little late for that, you know. And, and, and every subsequent phone call even long after his wife got better, still had the overtones of that sin, quote unquote, you know. Yes. Gee, Maury, I still feel bad about the thing. Yeah, no, nah, never mind. It's over. It's over. But it wasn't over. It kind of haunted the relationship. And and eventually the relationship crumbled as a result of it. They lost touch with each other and, and that was it. And then when Maury and I started talking about it, he began to break down and cry really, really hard. Uh, and he said that he had found out a, a few months ago that this friend had died from cancer and he never had a chance to make it up to him and he said why did i let that foolish little disagreement separate us for all those years it means nothing to me now nothing all i wish is that you know i could have before he died held his hand and told him what a good friend he had been for all those years and i i, I didn't and i can't and i never will and then he followed that up by saying you know, forgive everybody, everything, the line that you're saying, you know, there's a billion dollar industry behind. But this was one man saying, you know, forgive everyone, everything, because when you get to this point in, in your life, and you will, it's not going to matter. So my question to you is, in finding and talking to all these people and doing all this research, do you find that it's different with people who are either older much older, or are facing mortality because of some situation or another, medical situation, whatever, does their view on forgiveness, the willingness to accept forgiveness, the willingness to want to forgive, change when suddenly the length of your life is threatened? You know, what's interesting is I don't think there's a blanket rule. I think that everyone's different. And um, the the rabbi who does a lot of hospice work, Rabbi Krakow, actually told me a story where before people leave the earth, he tries to always get them to say a prayer. And it's something to the effect of, uh, 
I hope you'll forgive me. I forgive you. I love you. Hmm. And he tries to just to end the world. And there was an older man who did not want to say that prayer. And he kept and, and his daughter was there and he kept telling the rabbi, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have anything to apologize for. And so he was just like a stubborn ass. And the <laughs> rabbi just said, you know, this is just a, a better way to leave the world. It just heals people. And I think you should do it. And he talked him into it. And so at the very end, reluctantly, the man did say, I hope you forgive me. I forgive you. I love you to his daughter. And it meant a lot to her, even though he was reluctant to do it. Hmm. But so, no, I think that there's sort of stubborn people. I think that, um, you know, and I also see, you know, when I what I wrote about in Forgiveness Store, when I was trying to analyze why some people could apologize and why some couldn't, where you are in your life sometimes makes a difference, too. So, for example, if you're happy or you've had a happy life or you've um, you've had love or you've been successful or you feel accomplished, those those people tend to be able to forgive easier than people who maybe have been lonely or isolated or not successful or have regrets. So, right. uh, so, the, so the what the, the criteria seem to be different um, based on, you know, some of the people um, where they were in life. Um, and interestingly, there, there was one thing that really helped me conclude my story, my specific story, which was that I went to actually it was a Hindu doctor, and I told him the story, and he said to me that there is something in this picture that I'm not seeing, which will explain everything. And I said, what do you mean? It was, he sort of had this bigger overview. And he said, here's a metaphor. There's a woman in an, uh, an SVU um, that all of a sudden on the highway stops her car and the man in back of, of the car is honking and he sees her go reach something in the back and he's screaming, you could have killed me. And he's so upset. But what he can't see is that the woman's infant was choking. Mm. Mm. And of course, the minute that he did, he understood. And so he told me that, and I really that really stayed with me. And then it turned out my mentor, six months after our falling out, contacted me, and there was a huge part of the story that I didn't know, which actually explained everything. Ah, well, so wow. that leads me that leads me to the flip side of the coin. Uh, you know, we've talked about what makes a good apology from somebody else. What about when you're doing the apologizing? Now, you've told us the four things that, that make up for a good apology, but how do people know when it is their turn to apologize, when it is the better part of valor to apologize, when it, when it is smarter to just, rather than go back and forth on the fence about whose fault it was, just make the apology uh, for their own peace of mind and, and, and peace in the valley. Yeah, so that's a good question. And actually, after uh, my mentor came back and apologized to me, it felt so liberating that I sort of searched my world to see if there was anyone that I owed an apology to. And I sort of make a joke that I went on a, a forgiveness binge and I mm. apologized to everybody I could think of who might be upset with me. And now I knew what a good apology <laughs> was like. So just mm. for an example, I had a girlfriend who, when I was in the middle of um, sort of, you know, my bad mental state about what was going on. And also I was overwhelmed with work. She came to me and she wanted me to read her memoir, 500 page memoir about how she'd survived breast cancer. And I basically not intentionally, but I just said, I don't have time now to do that. I'm, you know, I have too much going on and she hadn't spoken to me since. And I remembered what happened six months later and I remember feeling guilty. So I was able to issue her the kind of four-fledged apology that I wanted. So I emailed her and I said, listen, you know, you wanted to show me something really important to you and I screwed up 
and I didn't make time for you, and I should have made time for you, and I should have responded better, and I'm really sorry that happened, and I'd like to make it up to you, and I have an online class that I'm doing where people are bringing in their writing, and could you would you take the class for free so that then I could read your work that way? Yeah. And uh, actually, the joke in the book is she said, Susie, I'd love to. And I and I and uh, in the book I write, she was using my childhood nickname, so I was in again. <laughs> you know, because because only only yeah. only people that like me and know me from a million years ago call me Susie. Yeah. But I actually, you know, so I think that if you do have, um, you know, if there's estrangements or you're feeling like somebody's upset with you and you're not quite sure why. Um, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing to do. And also in the book, I had a conversation with my father and I always sort of felt like he owed me an apology because he hated what I did. He hated that I was a writer. He hated that I moved to New York. He was constantly insulting me. I think I was like 50 years old with 10 books out and he kept saying in public, you could still go to law school. I'll still pay for law school. (laughs) And I was so mad at him. And we got into some weird conversation one night and we were talking about, I always thought that part of the reason he was so gruff was because my grandfather was a really mean, tough guy. And we started talking, and I had this flashback to when my grandfather died. I was so mad at my grandfather because I didn't think he treated my father well. He was actually, he was a window shade maker on the Lower East Side, and he was the only Jewish guy in the history of the world who was unhappy that his son became a doctor. <laughs> so this was really not a not a happy camper guy. And, and I didn't go to the funeral because I felt like I didn't fly from New York to Michigan to go to the funeral because I it was sort of like a statement that I just did not like my grandfather. And all of a sudden I realized that I should have gone, and I had all these regrets. Because I'm talking to my dad, and he's older, and uh, and maybe he wasn't feeling that well at this point. And so instead of pushing him to forgive me, I said to my dad, you know, I made a mistake. I really should have gone. I really, You know, I should have gone to the funeral, and I'm sorry I didn't do that. And all of a sudden, the floodgates broke, and he started telling me all these stories about what a great father Harry was to him when he was a kid and everything that happened to Harry and that Harry had been deserted by his own mother in Poland for the first six years of his life. And he just told me this wild, crazy history that I never knew. And then pretty soon after that, he started telling me how – my dad started telling me how proud he was of me. And so what was so fascinating was – I wanted him to apologize, but by, you know, by by issuing the apology first for something else and right. telling him that I was sorry. He never quite said I'm sorry, but it somehow opened the floodgates and, yeah. and we were able to connect, you know, in a, in a very strong way before he died. You know, and so I do say like I have a I have a piece coming out in The New York Times that's actually just the end of the book, which is ways to make it more likely that you will get an apology that you want. And one of the ways is if you apologize to somebody for something you've done wrong and it's sincere, sometimes that opens them up right. enough to, to be able to apologize to you. something similar to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know yeah. from personal experience, I, 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 I have always remembered what Maury said, and I will act on an impulse. If I'm thinking about somebody and I think about something that I might have done that might have hurt them or, or was just, usually it's in the nature of, I didn't get back to you or I was too quick on something, uh, you know, to, to dismiss it or, or I just should have followed up or whatever. I will pick up the phone without provocation. I won't wait to happen to be on with them. I'll call them out of the blue and they'll pick up and they'll say hi, you know, and I'll say hi and I say, listen, and this is going to sound strange, but I was just thinking about you and, and I really feel bad about something that I did and I want to apologize to you. And I can tell you from experience the, the, the reaction from people not only that you're apologizing, but that you are thinking about them 
when they're not contacting you. You know, when it when in other words that that this mattered to you enough that you they are on your mind, even when they're not writing you or in the middle of a conversation, breaks down any resistance to the apology that might have otherwise come if you're in the middle of debating the subject. So if you are thinking about making an apology to somebody, don't necessarily wait and say, you know what, next time I see them, I'm going to, I'm going to apologize to them. Or next time, you know, they call me, I'm going to apologize. Do it when it occurs to you. Do it when it's, it's, it's pure in your heart. And the added, uh, the, the added knowledge that you were thinking of this person without the provocation, without running into them, without the subject coming up again, uh, will make a big difference, I think, in terms of how the uh, apology is, is received. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that if there's an estrangement that you don't quite understand, sometimes trying to connect with somebody and apologizing for something even minor, like even, for example, saying, I'm sorry, we haven't been in touch. I should have contacted you sooner. Right. Or so, something as small as that sometimes could really open somebody up to yeah. um, to tell you what's been going on. And and as I said, the, the Hindu doctor was, you know, it's especially, I think it's especially important during the pandemic that we don't really know what's going on with people or what they're suffering or how they've been. So sometimes somebody, it seems as if somebody's cold or somebody Somebody's blown you off or somebody's, uh, you know, changed, but you don't really know the whole picture. So sometimes a good way to understand more of the whole picture is to connect with somebody and just say, I'm sorry, I haven't been in touch or, you know, um, I missed your birthday or I, I, you know, something, something that minor might open them up to tell you what's really happening. Small apologies can lead to bigger ones. I I know we have a limited time with you, just another minute or two, but uh, I did want to ask about one third category, and that is forgiving yourself. Where does that fit in? You know, people practice apologies to other people and they practice accepting apologies from other people. But frequently, sometimes before we can even apologize to somebody else, we have to forgive ourselves. And Maury made a big deal of that with me. What is your take on that? Hilariously, in in the book Towards the End, I talk about what happened and I say, um, that uh, I, I start going on about the whole conflict that happened. It was part of it was my problem and how myopic and selfish I've been. And then I said, now I have to forgive myself. So I absolutely do think that's an issue. Um, for me, therapy has really helped. And uh, and I will say that you know even given the conflict I had with my addiction specialist, I will say that that it's definitely helped me because it's you know to have somebody older and wiser to be able to understand understand what's going on and understand, um, you know, problems or self-flagellation or, you know, so, so that's something that I, that I highly right. recommend. Um, also, I mean, you know, just as a writer and a writing teacher, I journal a lot and I, um, you know, and I read a lot. So that somehow helps me. In fact, I will say that, that what started me on the whole forgiveness tour journey was read. I just read a whole bunch of books about forgiveness. And so that was, you know, that yeah. definitely was interesting. Well, we'll recommend yours being one of those that people can read because it's coming out uh, later this month, and it's called The Forgiveness Tour, How to Find Yeah, and I'm actually apology. doing an event, a forgiveness event um, that's free online with Temple Israel on January 14th, Temple Israel of West oh. Bloomfield, Michigan. Yeah, I'm very familiar yeah, with that's that be, temple. That's my launch. On January 14th. Wonderful. All yeah, right, actually, so people... with um, with the, the Holocaust survivor I mentioned, Manny Mandel, and the mm-hmm. forgiveness activist, Gary Weinstein, and um, Rabbi Jennifer Kaluzny is going to interview us about different concepts of forgiveness. Wonderful. 
A great event, mm, a great way to great. start off the year. Thank you, Susan, for coming on our program. Thank and you so much. Talking about this. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's it was an great. honor. Uh, I think, uh, Lisa, that's a great way to begin 2021. I think. Uh, Heck yeah. You know, everybody else says, okay, I'm going to begin by losing weight. I'm going to begin by exercising. I'm going to begin by working on myself. But one of the fastest ways to work on yourself is to shed the resentments that you hold, the anger that you mm-hmm. hold. You want to talk about losing weight. That's the weight that you want to lose. You want to lose <laughs> those pounds true. of anger and resentment and 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 and, and hard heartedness. And so, making yeah. an apology, accepting an apology, and then yeah. giving an apology to yourself are three really good ways to start off the new year. And we hope that that helped. So, yeah, Lisa, I'm if there's anything I have done that I owe you an apology <laughs> for. Maybe not for this year because it's we're really really fresh into it, but maybe for all of 2020. Let me apologize to you right here and say I'm sorry for any of that, and I hope that you'll accept that and uh, start well, 2021 I, with a clean slate. Well, you've done nothing to me, and I, I offer the same to you. <laughs> but oh, good because there are uh, like six things that I want. <laughs> no, okay, I'm just good. Teasing. I've done you've nothing done, to you, you, you Mitch. You've what are you nothing. talking about? No, no. It, but I appreciate <laughs> that you'd the... be willing to say. It. <laughs> And uh, yeah, do the same, so everybody. I, I think it's a good way to start. It sure is. I'm. I have one person I'm going to do that with today. So good. And it's we're my off. And, we're off and running in 2021. Yes. Thank you for uh, <laughs> listening to us. So WeTuesdayPeople.com is a website where you can find out much more about this podcast and get in on conversations and hear previous episodes and the like. And we'll see where this takes us in seven days. Until then, on behalf of Lisa Goich. To all of you, we thank you for joining us today and see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>